Daf Kof Chaf Bet, the final page of Masechet Yevamot. We've been speaking about who can be trusted to testify that a man is dead so that his wife can marry. Regarding a non-Jew, we made a distinction between if he uh, thinks he's testifying, that's less trustworthy, uh, don't trust him, but if he just happens to be talking, uh, by the way, then he is trusted. And we saw a bunch of stories, and here's a few more. Hahu goi a certain uh, non-Jewish thug comes to a Jew and says, go and cut this uh, fodder and give it to my animals on Shabbat. He's forcing him to violate Shabbat. And if you don't do it, I will kill you. The word for katel is the same word as to cut the vegetables. So cut, I will, if you don't cut it, I will cut you down like I killed this person, the, the, the Jew. Because I told, I commanded him to cook something for me on Shabbat and he did not cook it. And I killed him. That's the story. Shama de Bitu, his wife, heard about this. His wife heard that the Gentile had said this to her. Uh, 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 this is the wife of the guy who he said uh, that um, he, he, had, he had killed because he didn't cook for him. Uh, so the wife heard that this non-Jew admitted to killing the uh, this man who didn't who would refuse to cook on Shabbat, and so they came before Abaye and said, "Oh, see, isn't this enough proof that my husband is dead, so that I can remarry?" Uh, the guy said it kind of by the way. He wasn't he wasn't coming to court to testify that he did. He was uh, used. He he mentioned that he had murdered someone in the form of a threat to this other guy. Came to Abaye, but Abaye did not give an answer right away. He waited three different festivals. He didn't know how to answer it. He was, he wanted to consult with the other sages who come and gather together on the various festivals, before the various festivals. And uh, three went by and he still uh, didn't have an answer. So Rav Adabarava says, you know what? Go ask Rav Yosef because his knife is sharp, which is an interesting uh, symbol to use here when we were, talk- were talking about him commanding to cut the vegetables or else I'll cut you up. Um, but uh, anyway, he's, he's very sharp and he'll give you a decisive answer. So Azla Kames, or the woman went to Rav Yosef, Peshat Meha Matnitin, Rav Yosef and then say, ended up saying, no, you cannot trust him. And he derived that from the following Baraita that says, if Ananju is selling fruit in the marketplace, and he says, this fruit is Orla, meaning from the first three years of his growth, which actually are prohibited. Now, the Ananju thinks he's making them sound better and more expensive by saying he doesn't understand understand the halakha and that this actually makes them prohibited. He just heard someone saying, or la, some kind of something special about it. Or he says, azeka, they're from azeka, which is a, an area where they grew things even during shivirit, and that is prohibited. Or it's netarais, the fourth year fruit, which can be eaten, but only in Jerusalem. Otherwise, it's prohibited. So he thought that it is, in fact, 
Kodesh, it is special. Uh, it's true, but that doesn't make it more expensive. But anyway, this non-Jew thought he was saying something positive. We do not believe him. Uh, so that, in other words, we can buy it and we can assume that it's actually not Orla and he's the seller is simply making up the fact that it's Orla or Shevi'it or Netarevai um, because his intention is only to make uh, the product more expensive. But he's making it up. And the same thing here, this thug may be only uh, talking about, oh, I murdered that I murdered that guy. He maybe didn't actually kill him, but he's just saying it so that he can sound tough, so he can threaten this guy. Maybe he heard that there's a certain person missing. And so he said, yeah, I killed him and I'll kill you the same way I did the other guy if you don't do what I say. And therefore, this is not sufficient proof that he is telling the truth, even though here he's not testifying, but he has... Uh, a motive to lie, so we can't trust him. Then this case, Abba Yudan from Sidon said, there was a case where a Jew and a non-Jew were walking together, and the non-Jew said, oh, too bad for this Jew who was walking with me on the way, and he died while we were going, and I buried him. And and the rabbi said his wife is allowed to remarry based on that, because in this case, he was just saying it, by the way, you know, the story, oh, you know, what a, a terrible thing that happened while I was traveling the other day. He didn't mean it as testimony, and he had no benefit from it, so therefore he can be trusted. Another incident, there was a group of people that were taken prisoner. Kolad is the same word as uh, from English, collar. It comes from Latin, which is a collar, a metal, uh, a metal ring that was put around the necks of uh, s- slaves or prisoners uh, with, um, uh, with a tag on it, so um, he would not be able to run away. Okay, so you had these prisoners, and they were walking to Antioch. They were being, take, being taken to Antiochia. Uba Antioch up in Turkey. Uba Goy Ehad veAmar Haval al Kolar shebnei Adam shemetu ukbar team. And a certain Andrew came and said, "Oh, woe to that group of uh, people, the those prisoners who died, and I buried them." So also here, since he was talking about, uh, uh, he was just happened to be speaking in a roundabout way and not testifying, so we can trust him. And another case where 60 people were walking to a siege in Betar. Uh, this was probably after the bar, uh, uh, in the bar, uh, middle of the Bar Kochva revolt. And the Sarnanju came and said, Whoa, to those 60 people who are walking and they died and I buried them. And here also we permitted them, uh, the rabbis permitted them to marry uh, because uh, the, the man was just saying it by the way. And so here you have, it's likely that they were being led to the siege of Betad as uh, these were probably war captives. 
um, they were forced uh, forced labor to assist the Roman during the siege of Betar, uh, which was at the end of the Bar Kokhba revolt. All right, so that concludes that list of cases. Each one actually teaches us something uh, different from the one before. The first one is about an individual, and the second one is even with a group, and the third one is even um, if, if it's a time of uh, um, not only a time of peace, but also a time of war where you might say just conjecture they probably died but no he said i i they died and i buried them so it doesn't matter all these circumstances since they're not testifying but speaking by the way we trust their statements next mishnah uh, the best thing is to identify a person is if with the sunlight that's the brightest but even if not so even if there's only lamplight or moonlight and you see the face of the of a dead body and you recognize it that's sufficient uh, uh, to tell who it is and also batkol Batkol here means literally the daughter of a voice, meaning an echo. It doesn't, sometimes in other stories, it means a, a heavenly voice. But what they have in common is that it's a, we hear just a voice, but we don't know where it's coming from. Uh, so like, like an echo, uh, where you're hearing a derivative of a voice, basically. So here, if you hear someone say that a person died, even though you don't know who said it, because you can't actually see who said it, that is sufficient, but we're not talking about a divine uh, voice. Um, and you can tell from the context here. Met. A person was standing on top of a mountain, and he said, "This person, the son of that person from this place, has died." So the people hearing that voice went to where it sounded like it was coming from. They didn't find anyone there, so they never actually saw or found the person that said it. But someone must have said it because they obviously heard the voice. And so they relied on that as testimony. That's interesting. It was in the mountain. So probably it was, in fact, an echo. And uh, uh, you don't have to see the witness um, to hear the words. And you could still trust that if he said it, then he must know. And they allowed the woman to get married. Another case in a city in the, uh, in the Galilee called Salmon. Uh, that uh, someone heard a voice saying, I am so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, and a snake has bit me and I am dying. He yelled it out loud. He wanted people, uh, someone to know that he was there and that he was dying. He was, uh, he was not dead yet, obviously, but because he had a snake bite, he knew that for sure he was going to die. So the people hearing it went, but they were not able to recognize him. By the time they got to him, they weren't able to recognize who it is. Um, uh, but nevertheless, they married, so they didn't know who is the person that died, but he did say his name before he died. And so based on his words that they heard, they went and allowed his wife to remarry. So that's similar to relying on a voice only, even without facial recognition.
אוקיי, אמר רבא בר שמואל, תנא, בית שמאי אומרים אין מסעין על פי בת קול, בית הלל אומרים מסעין על פי בת קול. So we have a brayta that has, says, actually this is a machloket, בית שמאי says you cannot rely on a voice alone, whereas בית הלל says you can rely on a voice alone to allow a woman to remarry. מייקה משמלן, now what is this מישנה תיש? מתניתין היא, we already saw in the מישנה, that one is permitted to rely on a voice, so um, this is the opinion of Bet Hillel. So we know that will be the halacha. Why, uh, why, do you wanna, why, do, why do you have to bother telling me what the, law, what the opinion of Bet Shammai is? is to teach you that if you should find a setama, a, an anonymous baraita or a, a source or story, and it says that you cannot rely on a, a disembodied voice to allow someone to get married, then you'll know that, that well, there was an opinion like that. That was the opinion of Bet Shammai, but it was rejected. So it's important to record that Bet Shammai did say that. This is similar to the, what the Tosefta uh, and Mishnah in Eduyot say, that why in the whole Mishnah, how can we record minority opinions? Why do we record multiple opinions? And uh, one reason is because we should remember that that minority opinion existed and it was rejected. And therefore, we shouldn't think, oh, if someone has a tradition that there's an opinion like that, maybe it must be correct. Yeah, it is correct that it is that there, someone said that, but doesn't mean that it's valid. It was already voted against. So here too, it's important to record Bet Shammai to know that an anonymous source that says it is, in fact, Bet Shammai and not the Halacha. Okay, in that first story, they heard an echo, but they went and couldn't find who said it. And now, they, we wonder, well, how do you know it was actually a person that testified that we can trust? Maybe it was, in fact, a demon that said some, something, and demons cannot be trusted. No, they saw there from far, they saw that, with, that it was um, a figure of a human being that said, this, uh, this, uh, this person, so-and-so, has died. So it, we, it looked like a person. We just couldn't tell who it was. And we, when we looked, went to find him closer, he was gone. So, hold on, that doesn't solve the problem because demons also appear like people. They have a similar shape. So the answer is, Dechazu le babu'a. No, where they saw he had a shadow. And so uh, human beings have shadows. Demons don't have shadows. So that day they knew he was a human being. Hold on, that's not true. lehu babu'a. Demons also have shadow, shadows. Um, so I can't tell from that. No, the answer is, Dechazu le babu'a de babu'a. They, they saw a shadow of a shadow. In other words, uh, human beings and real objects sometimes have a double shadow. If there's like two sources of light or light is refracting, there could be a darker shadow and a lighter shadow. They didn't see that in this case. So uh, they did see a shadow, a double shadow, and so they knew it was a person. And if it was only a single shadow, then they, it could have been a demon. This is how we know that the moon landing was fake because they didn't have uh, the proper shadows as well. Okay, so anyway, that's how they knew it was not a demon, so they would trusted that there was a human being there who said it. Uh, wait, maybe demons might also have a, sha a, double, a, a kind of double shadow. How do you know that they don't? 
Um, so it still could be a demon, even if, even if they saw a double shadow. Amar Rabbi Hanina, Amar Liyohanan Shida, Babu'a it lehu, Babu'a de Babu'a let lehu. No, they don't, because Rabbi Hanina said, Yonatan the demon, either he's he, Yonatan the demon, or the demon expert. Uh, more likely he's an expert in demons, or maybe if he was one, so it takes one to know one. Anyway, we have it on good authority that uh, shadow, they, um, demons have a shadow, but they do not have a double shadow. And so there you go. We know for sure that they didn't. Okay, demonology was very popular in the ancient world, especially in Persia. So this was kind of the science of the time to explain all kinds of phenomenon that they uh, didn't see, couldn't f figure out a, f a physical scientific reason for. So they blamed it on demons. Uh, today we believe it also. We would just call it, you know, bacteria and other kinds of forces. All right. Hold on. Maybe that figure who said the echo was in fact a co-wife who went far away on a distant mountain and called out, so-and-so is dead. But she was lying and only said that in order to get her co-wife in trouble. So so even if it's a human being, how do we know that it's a human being we can trust? I mean, it's true, we can trust uh, you know, a single witness, we can trust a woman, but maybe it's one of the five categories of women who cannot be trusted. Then the answer is, We have a law from the Tzabraita, from the school of the Bishmael, that says, at a time of danger, we write and give a get, even though we don't recognize him. In other words, if there is a time of danger, like a time of war or sickness, and a man says, listen, I'm dying, go ahead and write and give a get to, to my wife. And we don't recognize who it, who, who it is. He's down in a, in a ditch, or we just don't know him. Uh, nevertheless, we can rely on his word. If he says, I am Mr. ABC, write a get from my wife. This is her name. Here's where she is. And so he identifies himself. We can trust that that is who it was, because uh, in the time of danger, there's no way to verify it. There's no time. There's no possibility to get him uh, to you know come again to a court with witnesses that know who you are. It's impossible. And we don't want the, the, the wife to be stuck forever. Um, so therefore, we give a get based on his words, even we don't, though we don't know. And the same thing would be here, because yes, there is some possibility that the it's the co-wife um, or sister-in-law, mother-in-law that went on a distant place and called out. But problem is we can't check if we were able to uh, find the person. Then we can say, wait, don't let her marry until we double check who it was. But here, the person ran away. We don't know who where it is. So if we ignore this bat call, then the wife will be uh, problematic, will not be able to get remarried. And therefore, we consider this case of the echo to be the same as a case of danger, in which we assume that someone said it, it wasn't a demon, and, prob and uh, we can't check if it was a close, per uh, a close relative, and uh, therefore we can assume that it was okay, um, because you don't, you can't, you don't be machmir here because then we're putting the, the wife's, uh, future, uh, um, gonna, she may become an aguna. And therefore we, if, if it's possible to be machmir and verify, then sure. But if it's impossible to verify, then better to assume that it's a kosher testimony. Next Mishnah.
אמר רבי עקיבא כשירדתי לנהר דעל עבר השנה מסעתי נחמיה איש בית דלי. One time רבי עקיבא went to נהר דעל to uh, intercalate the year. Why was he going to Bavel to do that? It's supposed to be done at Israel. So probably it was a time of persecution again. Perhaps the Bar Kochva revolts, and they said the rabbis aren't allowed to get together in uh, in Israel. So he had to go to Neharda in order to uh, set the calendar. Masat, and he found Nehemiah from Bet Deli, who also was living. He was uh, originally from Israel, but he was living in Babel. Amar li shamati shen masina taisha beis Yisrael al pi ayed echad ela Yehuda ben Bava. So Nehemiah told Rabbi Akiva, I heard a rumor that in the land of Israel. The rabbis will not accept the testimony of one witness to that a person is dead, and a man is dead, to allow his wife to get married. They require two witnesses, except for Yudah ben Bava. He's the only one in Israel that says we can rely on one witness. says, yes, indeed, that's the case. We need two witnesses. This is a serious matter. Could be adultery otherwise. And so, yeah, of course, we need two witnesses. But Nechemiah told Rabbi Akiva, you know, uh, go tell them in my name. You know that the, uh, the, the country has troops all over it, Roman troops, and I'm not able to travel. Otherwise, I would come and tell them myself. But since I can't travel, I'm sending you as a messenger. I have a tradition from Rabban Gamliel, the elder from the previous generation, that one can allow a woman to get married based on one witness. That is the tradition, and you should follow that. Okay, so Rabbi Akiva, in fact, came and, uh, and, and told this to Rabban Gamliel, the, the grandson of Rabban Gam, uh, Gamliel Hazaken. Uh, and Rabban Gamliel, the grandson, who is called Rabban Gamliel II, or the one of Yavne, uh, the first one lived uh, during the time of the sec- of the destruction of the Beit Hamikdash. Uh, the second one was an older contemporary of Rabbi Akiba. He was so happy. Now we find found a companion to Rabbi Yehuda ben Bava. Before he was alone, and while he was he's a great sage, he was just a minority opinion, and we wouldn't we couldn't trust him. That, 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 that was, in fact, the halakha against the majority. Uh, but now that we have this tradition, now we see that this is authentic. Okay. Some versions have hazaken here. Hold on. So because of that, after he, he, he was told that, Rabban Gamliel, the second from Yavne, remembered that one time there were people uh, that were murdered in a place called Tel Arza. And his grandfather, Rabban Gamliel Hazaken, allowed their wives to remarry even based on one witness so he had forgotten this but now that Biakiva told him uh, this tradition he said you know what you're right I'm remembering it was actual an actual case like that that my grandfather said at that point Rabban Gamliel as the leader of the Sanhedrin as the Nasi uh, decided to establish the following protocol that from now on they will allow not only one, uh, a single witness to be trusted, 
but also um, a hearsay testimony. If one witness comes and says, I heard someone else who said that they saw the person die, we trust that. And if that one witness is a slave or a woman or a maidservant, also they will all be trusted to say a person is dead to allow his wife to remarry. That is all the, so that's the change that happened in the story. So you see, there's actually two steps that were changed. At, at first in Israel, most of the rabbis said you need two witnesses. Then they said, oh, you know what? And um, said you need just one witness. So they trusted one witness. But at, even at that point, we only know that it was a male witness. But again, it sounds like at some point uh, later, maybe soon after, it said not only one witness, but also a female or a slave is also will be trusted for this purpose. said, no, we don't like this change. They did not accept it. And so they said, no, we can't, can't use one witness, need two. Rabbi Akiva said, we cannot trust a woman or a slave or a maidservant or uh, relatives. It sounds like Rabbi Akiva says that he's fine with just with one witness if it's a male witness. So he is more lenient than Rabbi Eliezer Rabbi Yoshua, but in between, more stringent than the uh, Rabban Gamliel and the testimony that Rabbi Akiva himself brought. So even though Rabbi Akiva was the messenger that brought that message from Nehemiah Ish Beteli to Rabban Gamliel, uh, nevertheless, he himself uh, seems to have not agreed with it and was more stringent and uh, kept up the Rabbi Eliezer kept up keep up the original law. You need two witnesses. Rabbi Akiva says, fine, one male witness, but not females and servants. But the Gemara will talk about this and whether Rabbi Akiva only said this in the intermediate stage. Maybe he changed his mind by the end. Okay. So according to Rabbi Akiva, is that true that we will not trust a, a woman? to say that a certain man is dead so that his wife can remarry. So Rabbi Shimon Azar says in the name of Rabbi Akiva that a woman is trusted to bring her own get. If, in other words, if a woman comes from another place and she has her get with her, and she says, this is my get, I'm divorced, I'm divorced, I'm, I was divorced. We believe her, Rabbi Akiva says. And how does he know? He proves it from a kavachom. And a kavachom, nashim shamru chachamim en ne'emanot lomar met ba'ala. If regarding those five women that the sages said, we do not believe them to say that um, uh, a husband is dead, like a co-wife, but nevertheless, they are trusted regarding a get. If a co-wife brings uh, a get and says, here, I was sent as a messenger from our husband to give you this get. She is believed. We saw earlier the reason is because she also has a, a document with her. Uh, so it would be harder for her to make, a, make make it up and lie since she has the document with her. So if if so, then the wife herself of that husband, uh, a wife herself who is believed to say, my husband dies. Everyone agrees that the wife herself was believed. And all the more so she can bring her own get. Okay, 
that was the proof. What we see, what do we see from here? Nashim It's only these five women that the rabbi said they hate each other, sister-in-laws, mother-in-law, that they we do not believe. But any other woman is believed. So how come Rabbi Akiva in the Mishnah just now was quoted as saying that we do not trust a woman? As, um, however, here within this Kalvachomer, Rabbi Akiva says we do trust woman other than the five that no one uh, everyone agrees that we do not trust so we answer that the mishnah uh here that clause was rabbi akiva said this before the rabbis got together and decided to change the law remember there was three stages first they said you need two witnesses then they said find one witness and then they said okay and that one witness can be a woman or a slave so between stages two and three Rabbi Akiva says we can all fine I'll trust one witness but not if it's a woman or a slave but then once the rabbis decided you know what Let's trust women also. So Rabbi Akiva changed his mind and agreed that you can. And so this Kavachomere stated was after that fact. All right. So according to this, Rabbi Akiva, in fact, changed his mind. Uh, however, the Mishnah does continue with the dialogue that was started above. Uh, Amru Law, the rab, the sages who say you can trust a woman, told Rabbi Akiva, who said you can't. There was a story of the, some Leviim that they went to Soar, the city of date palms. And one of them got ill on the way. And so they brought him to an inn and said, you rest here. And they continued on their journey. On their way back, they stopped at the inn to see how their friend is doing. Their fellow traveler, uh, so they asked the innkeeper, where is our friend? The innkeeper says, sorry to tell you, your friend has died, I buried him. And they allowed his wife to remarry based on the testimony of this innkeeper. And now the sages tell Rabbi Akiva shouldn't uh, uh, someone who's a Kohenet or any uh, woman who's Jewish who's trusted shouldn't they be at least as credible as this random person innkeeper um, and so if we trusted her she as, as a woman so we should treat, uh, trust any woman who says uh, someone has died and this is an old story so they, they tell Rabbi Akiva how come you don't agree with that story says, yeah, if you show me a woman who is as trustworthy as this innkeeper, then fine, I'll believe her. Um, why, why is she more trustworthy than most? Because the innkeeper brought out his walking staff, his money bag, and the Torah scroll that he had with him. So since she had these items, that adds support to her testimony. So it's really not based on the testimony of one woman, but it's her testimony plus these physical items. So Yubakiva says, yeah, fine, if you have physical evidence also, because a person wouldn't leave and, and uh, leave his, his personal items behind, then fine, otherwise I would not agree with it. Okay, um, uh, what you see here is that I guess this Mishnah is simply continuing. It doesn't seem from the Peshat of the Mishnah that Yubakiva changed his mind, he's defending it, unless you say that this whole story and this whole conversation happened 
and then that in between period before Rabbi Akiva changed his mind. All right, so now we analyze this story. What's so bad about an innkeeper? How come she is less less trustworthy than any other woman? What's particular about this one? Ravkana explains that this but this innkeeper was not Jewish. It doesn't say in the Mishnah she could have been Jewish. Talmud Yudashami says she was, uh, but according to Ravkana she was not Jewish, and therefore non-Jewish uh, uh, Jews are tr- were, are trusted only if they speak uh, offhandedly, not if they're testifying. And so that's why it was, uh, they uh, said, if the rabbi said, if even this non-Jewish, has, this innkeeper is trusted because she's speaking offhandedly, all the more so we should trust a Jewish woman um, um, here is his staff and here is his uh, money bag and here is the grave that she that that um uh, that I have dug for him here in this quote it doesn't have the Torah but rather she points to the actual grave. And similarly, have another Baraita that says the same thing. This innkeeper was not Jewish, and she was speaking offhandedly when she said, "This is his staff, and this is his uh, bag, and here's the grave." She was just she wasn't saying testimony. She was saying, "Hey, look! By the way, I have his uh, you know money bag. What, what do you think I should do with it? Oh, oh look! Here's the grave." You know, she was uh, telling the story. But she wasn't telling it as testimony, and that's the only reason she was believed. Hold on. They came and asked her, where is our friend? So actually, they were asked, They did ask her a question. She, didn't, she wasn't telling the story in an offhanded way. They're like, hey, you may know what happened to me yesterday? Oh, we had a, we had a person here who was staying, and then she, he died, and I had to go bury him, and there's a story, and I had to get a shovel. Right? This, they, they, she is answering a question. So this is more like testimony. So why did they believe her? So in fact, uh, when uh, they approached the innkeeper, she started crying. So you see, she uh, this is offhanded. They didn't ask her anything. She started crying herself. They're like, oh, what happened? You know, where's our friend? And then she said that he died. So the crying that she said before is uh, the beginning of the interaction and so that was offhanded they didn't ask her anything first and therefore she could be trusted she was trusted in that case so another story about a man that came and testified regarding a woman that her husband died to the bitarfon. So he says, oh, I'm not going to just believe you. How do you know that the person has died? He says, well, here's a story. Me and this guy, uh, we were walking on the uh, uh, traveling together. And some troops came and they were chasing after us. And this guy, he was really strong. He, he, hang, he hung on to an olive branch, tore it off and was waving it at the soldiers and he scared them off. I told him, you're a, you're a lion, right? Uh, 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 be strong and firm. It's unbelievable how brave you were. So that guy said, oh, how'd you know my name is Aryeh? He called him Aryeh because he was as strong as a lion. But it, has, so it was a coincidence that the guy's name was actually 
Mr. Lion. כך קוראים אותי בעירי יוחנן ברבי יונתן, אריה דמיקפשיך היה. That's what they call me. Yes, was a nickname. I guess he was, he was always known to be very strong. His name was Yohanan, the son of Rabbi Yonatan, and they called him the lion from this village of Shechaya. So how do you know my name? After some time, this guy got sick and he died, and Rabbi Tarfon said, uh, you know what? He, uh, his wife can get married based on that testimony. The man who was traveling with him uh, said, I, I, he told me his name, so based on that, now I see he died, so, but I know his name, and we were able to trust him in that way. Okay, we bring the story because we have a question. Usually when you have witnesses come to the court, they have to uh, in- investigate and interrogate the witnesses with various questions. Uh, where did it take place? When? You know, basic questions, further questions. Uh, to make sure that they're really telling the truth. But here, it doesn't sound like there was uh, any interrogation. He just, I mean, there was a little bit. Just tell me the basic story, but that's it. So according to this, seems to be Tarfon does not require interrogation when a witness comes and says, I saw this person, I testify that he's dead. But here we have a baraita that contradicts. The second baraita is a story that's almost exactly the same as the first one. A man came to the Bitarfon and said, This woman can get remarried. Because her husband died. Bitarfon says, How do you know? We were traveling together and some troops were running after us. And hung on, in this case, to a fig tree and he tore it off. And he was able to scare off the troops. And I said, Wow, such strength, Mr. O'Lion. Oh, you're strong as a lion. He says, ah, you figured out my name. They called me in my city. The Yohanan, the son of Yonatan, before it was Rabbi Yonatan, the lion from the village of Shichaya. And then um, at some point later, he got sick. Maybe he was, in fact, wounded in that attack or whatever. Or he died. And the fellow traveler says, I know his name. And uh, based on that, he was able to, uh, uh, based on that, Bitarfon accepted it. But in this version of the story, see, it's the same exact story, the same person, but it's a different version of how it was told. now challenged him and started like telling him tricky questions. He says, hold on, what, what exactly? Didn't you tell me his name, that his name was Yochanan, the son of Yonatan, from the city of village of Shechaya, the lion, knows Rabbi um, Tarfon put the word lion at the end, right, instead of before the village name. And so the witness says, No, I didn't put the line at the end. I said his name is Yochanan ben Yotan I put the lion in the beginning. That's what they called him. Asked him this, pressed on him two or three times, asking him all kinds of tricky questions to, to try, try to throw the witness off. If, he's, if he was lying, then he would get confused. But if he's telling the truth, then he'll say, No, I know I was there. He's told me exactly this. And every time the witness spoke, he said his statements consistent. And that's how, that's, this is the form of Didi Shava Chakira. You have to make sure, usually it's two witnesses, and you separate them and ask each one, each one the same question. 
and you see if their two testimonies are consistent. In this case, you have only one witness, so but he does he does it by asking him tricky questions to see if he can throw him off, and he was not able to throw him off, and therefore he says, "Okay, fine, you're telling the truth." says, "Fine, now your wife can get married." So according to the second version of the story, you see that Bitafon did require interrogation, and the first version of the story did not require interrogation. So which one is it? And the answer is Tanaehi. There are two Tanaim. This is going to serve double duty, this two Tanaim. Number one, it answers the question. There are two versions, two memorizers that had different versions of the Bitafon story. One is a shorter version, one's a longer version. And so, depending on which version you choose, the Bitafon himself either did not or did require interrogation. But we're also going to learn from the following Braita that there was a machloket between various. Tanaim, the Tanya, and Bodkin, Aidena Shimbidrish of Akira, the Bedebi Akiva, Bitafon Omer Bodkin, Baita says, according to the Akiva, you do not have to, regarding testimony for uh, regarding women, uh, so if they can remarry or not, we lighten up. Uh, we don't require interrogation because really we want to believe them and try to uh, allow the woman to get married unlike other cases like capital punishment where we're going to increase and do as much interrogation as possible because we don't want to execute someone uh, wrongly so there we want to make 100 sure 100 percent here also we want to be as sure as possible but sometimes if you do too much interrogation you'll end up throwing the person off and you might disqualify valid testimony and here we really prefer to help the aguna so that's the Biakiva. Biatavon, however, says that we do have to interrogate, and so this would be the version, the second version of the story. What is that essence of the machlok between Biakiva and Biatavon? Biatavon says that according to Torah law, whether it's monetary, uh, whether you're talking about a monetary case or a capital case, you have to interrogate the witnesses because the Pasuk says one law, one procedure should be for for you. One procedure means no matter what case it is, you can't just accept witnesses because they said so. We have to question them, interrogate them. So even though the letter of the law, the biblical law, is that we do interrogate witnesses even for monetary, however, the sages came and said, you know what, This is uh, we make an enactment that we should not interrogate witnesses for monetary matters because we don't want to lock the door in the face of borrowers. If a borrower comes and says, hey, can I borrow $1,000? Now the lender, let's say he's willing to lend, but the lender knows that if he should need to bring him to court, if the guy doesn't pay, and I'm going to bring him to court, and then I'm going to bring my witnesses to say, see, I, I, I uh, lent him money on this and that date, and here's the witnesses. If, I, if, we, if the sages follow biblical law and require interrogation, then we're going to interrogate the witnesses. They might get tripped up and he's going to have a hard time getting his money back. So he says, you know what? I'm not going to lend you money because I know that if there's a problem, I'm going to have to face interrogation and I, it's such a pain and I may get end up losing the court case even though I'm right. 
And in the end, the people that were hurting were the borrowers because no one wanted to lend them money. So the rabbis made an enactment and said, you know what, we're going to ease the burden on the lender. And so that if the lender comes and says, hey, you owe me money, and he brings testimony, we do not interrogate the witnesses. And that way, um, uh, and that way lenders will be more willing to allow uh, to give money to the borrowers. So this was a rabbinic enactment that they decided. Now, that is already we, uh, a previous discussion. Now, how does that apply to this case of allowing a woman to get remarried? Rabbi Akiva said that this is like, uh, this case is like, um, since she wants to collect the ketuvah, the widow will collect the ketuvah if her husband is dead, so we treat it like Monetary, a monetary case, and therefore we are lenient and we do not require dirisha, uh, interrogation of the witnesses. Whereas Rabbi Tarfan thinks, based on this testimony that someone says that the wife, that the husband is dead, we're going to allow her to remarry, and then that, if it's wrong, would be adultery, and that would be uh, a serious case. A capital case, and so therefore we uh, do. We have to, we have to interrogate the witness. Uh, so this is simply a machloket of um, do we focus on the monetary aspect of permitting a woman to remarry or the um, or the uh, prohibition aspect of it, uh, whether we interrogate the witness or witnesses to say a woman is dead. All right, and the final line: Amarabi el azama, Amarabi chanina. The previous statement was also Rabbi Hanina, and so we quote yet another one. This sounds familiar. It's in our tefillah. It also is the conclusion of three other masichtot of the Talmud Bavli. And this teaches that uh, sages bring uh, increase peace in the world. How do you know that? Because Pasuk in Yeshaya says, all of your children shall be taught, um, uh, to shall know God, and great will be the peace of your children. And the fact that it doesn't quote the full thing here, but in other places it does, from the fact that it repeats and again. So, verav means will increase peace, those who, the builders, those who learn Torah, teach Torah, build up the moral fabric of the of the of the world, and they increase peace in the world as well. Um, okay, what does that have to do with anything besides being uh, said by Rabbi Chanina? This is a fitting ending to what we were just talking about in these uh, in this last discussion, which is the rabbis made various enactments to bring peace in the world. Uh, for example, they say for monetary cases, because we want borrowers to be able to have access to money, so we will say that the witnesses, we, we do not require, the Torah says you require uh, interrogation, we say, no, witnesses need not be interrogated because they want to help out. And that brings peace to the world that the poor people can uh, borrow money. Also, we want to help a woman, a woman whose husband is gone, is missing, uh, and so we want, want her, we don't want, want her to be an aguna. So therefore, we were, the rabbis were lenient and said, you can believe one witness, you can believe a woman, you don't have to do interrogation uh, so that we can allow the woman to remarry. And that is another example of the rabbis making enactments to bring peace and make the world a better place. And we'll uh, formally conclude the Masechet uh, 
uh, tomorrow, but uh, this is a, a, a wonderful accomplishment and chazakim uberuchim for all those who made it to the end of uh, one of the hardest masechtot, uh, masechet yevamot, chazakim uberuchim. Baruch Adonai leolam, amen ve'amen.